You are listening to episode number 87, How One Man Birthed Nations. My name is Antracia Moorings, and welcome to my weekly podcast, where I share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. So we are on the tail end of an 11-week study of the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11. So if you're just tuning in, you can start at the beginning and join us still. You can pick up the Bible study on Amazon. It's called Dustin Divinity and dive right in. For those of you who have been with me all of the 10 weeks so far, thank you so much. I appreciate you jumping in, asking questions, giving feedback. It's been a fruitful time. So this week we are in chapter 10 and we're going to talk about the generations that have come from Noah. So we know that the flood came and wiped away all of humanity except for Noah and his family. And chapter 10 opens with These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. So Japheth was the oldest, Ham was the youngest, and Shem was the middle. And we have this information in Genesis chapter 10, verse 21, and Genesis 9, verses 22 and 24. And a lot of Bible scholars debate over who was the oldest, the middle, and the youngest of Noah's sons. But scripture clearly tells us what order they come in, because in Genesis 9 and 24, Ham is called Noah's youngest son. Genesis 10 and 21 says Shem's older brother was Japheth. Therefore, Shem had to be born in the middle, making Japheth the oldest. And the issue is confusing because birth order is usually the same as the order of how they are listed when they're first mentioned. But when the sons are introduced In Genesis chapter 6, the passage reads Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem was probably listed first because it was from his line that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come from. Now, this table of nations, which includes chapter 10 and 11, is a horizontal genealogy. And I think we may have touched on this in previous episodes. So this is horizontal rather than vertical. The ones in chapters 5 and 11 are vertical. They start at the top and descend down. And we see that the brothers are listed rather than fathers, then sons and grandsons, that sort of thing. So this is the fourth Toledot or generation marker, which serves as a segue to Abram, which comes up in the next part of Genesis. Before the flood, everyone came from Adam. But now that the flood is over, everyone comes from Noah again, pointing to him as a new Adam. And the table of nation is Noah's descendants through Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And this list is probably not exhaustive, but we're given a good picture of the division of the races into three branches, each one having its specific and unique qualities granted by God, highlighting the fact that man is still created in the image of God. And we see in verses 5, 20, and 31 that we're given this sort of fourfold division of each family. And the four categories are the families are divided out by families, languages, their countries, and their nations. We're going to see this language repeated in this chapter. Starts in verse number five, where it says, From the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, 
in their nations. So this chapter has a bit of a complicated structure and Genesis chapters 10 and 11 really should be one chapter. Chapter 10 is a zoom out view of the beginning of all nations on the earth. And chapter 11 is a zoom in on a part of chapter 10. So the events that happen in chapter 11 actually explain the events of chapter 10. So it's good to read these together so you can get a fuller understanding. And the sons are listed according to their importance to the story that pertains to the story that God is highlighting and writing. And the one most important to the storyline is listed last. And this is going to be Shem because he's an important segue to Abraham, which we'll see in chapter 11. And the outline of the families according to languages, countries, and nations is important because we will see that through Abram, all the nations will be blessed. So Moses starts with Japheth, the son who would eventually give rise to most of the people and wealth of the world. His name means opened or expanded. And Japheth has seven sons who move northeast and northwest from Mesopotamia. And If you notice, as a general rule, the farther a people group moves from Israel, the less important they become to the storyline of scripture. His son, Gomer, settles in what we know to be Germany, south of the Black Sea, and becomes the people known as the Cimmerians of the ancient world. Magog settled in southern Russia and became known as the Scythians. The third son is Madai, who becomes the Medes people, and later they settle in India, The fourth son, Javan, was the father of Greece. Meshach, Tubal, and Magog lived near each other in modern Russia and Iran. And the fifth son, Tubal, settled in parts of Russia. The sixth son was Meshach, who was also in southern Russia. And then Japheth's seventh son was Tyrus, who went to inhabit the part of the world known as modern Italy. Moses then goes on to list the grandsons for two of the sons of Japheth. And he ends with the statement that from these, the coastlands were separated. Japheth's family moves towards the coast and later move into Europe and Asia, moving by the sea in most cases. And since Japheth's family moves away from Israel, they're not given a lot of attention in this chapter. Notice in verse five, we're told that this outward movement led to a separation in lands. And from these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with their own language, by their clans and their nations. Then we have Ham's descendants. Ham has four children and a number of grandchildren. And Ham settles down in northern Africa and later inhabits the rest of the continent. His first son, Cush, has become synonymous with Ethiopia. The second is Mizraim, which is the Jewish name for Egypt. Third is Put, which is Libya. And then Canaan, who we know, settles in the land to be occupied by Israel. And his descendants become those various ites of the land Israel will later occupy. All of those ites who become a thorn in the side of the nation of Israel. And it's interesting that Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis gives the borders of the people of Canaan according to location names that we still identify today. And based on this description, Canaan's territory equals the land that God promised to Abraham. Israel was given the land that was first occupied by Canaan in keeping with Noah's 
curse on Canaan. And then Moses zooms in on one of Ham's grandsons in verse number eight. So we know that when a name is pulled out of a genealogy like this, it's for a specific reason. Remember Enoch, we get some very detailed information about him that he was the one who walked with God and then he was not. So Ham gives birth to Cush and Cush gives birth to Nimrod. And Nimrod is the one that's highlighted in this chapter. Nimrod's name is from the verb let us revolt. And he said to be a mighty hunter in the sight of the Lord. But that language has a dark meaning, just like it did in Genesis chapter six with the Nephilim, who were mighty men of old. So just a surface glance at this, you may think that it's a good thing. Mighty men of old, they're strong, they're warriors, a mighty hunter. He must have been a great hunter, good with the bow and arrow. But that's not the meaning. Nimrod becomes a tyrant, and he leads an organized rebellion against the rule of God. He hunts not animals, but men, the souls of men. And the important phrase is before the Lord in Genesis 10 and 9. So in this time, to be before someone meant to be in opposition to them, like you were an antagonist, you were standing in defiance before this person. And it says, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So he wasn't standing before the Lord in submission, but instead in revolt. So if you go back a few chapters, remember Cain, he was a condemned murderer and he was the one who had started the first cities before the flood. God had said that he would be a wanderer, but instead Cain set down roots and built a city in honor of his son's name. Nimrod does the same thing. He builds the first post-flood cities, the most prominent of them being Babylon and Nineveh, the two great cities of the ancient times, which became the greatest enemies of Israel. So instead of letting God establish cities and build things up, Nimrod builds for himself. So we see something very haunting happening here again. We see what happened back then happening all over again. So remember just a few generations after Adam, we had Lamech in Genesis 4. And a few generations after Noah, we have Nimrod. And it's said that the false religions of the world can be traced back to Nimrod, the founder of Babylon, which is in modern Iraq today. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Eric Akkad and Kelna in the land of Shinar. This is verse number 10. And then verse number 11, from the land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, and Calah. So in verses 10 and 11, the land of Shinar includes the area of the Tower of Babel, which is the same thing as Babylon, that great city, that mighty kingdom that stood in opposition to Israel. Babylon represents a place that is set on disobedience and rebellion and everything that goes against what God has established. And it's going to play an important role in Israel's history. So we know that in 930 BC, later on, Israel splits into the southern and the northern kingdoms. This happens in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And then in 720 BC, the northern kingdom falls to Assyria. And the southern kingdom falls to Babylon. And what we know is that Canaan's cursed descendants, all of the ites live there. Sodom and Gomorrah 
are there as well. And the Jebusites, they're the ones that held Jerusalem, which David ultimately took back into his possession. And then we have Shem, which means renown. And Shem's line begins with this distinction that he's the father of all the children of Eber. And Eber, as we saw, was a grandchild of Shem. And to Shem also the father of the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth. So Eber is the one who will carry God's promise forward. Eber is the origin of the word Hebrew. So Shem was the father of the Hebrews that were to come later. And Abram comes from this line. Shem also means Semites, the Semitic people, which are those people who stay in God's promised land. So Shem had five sons. The first son, Elam, settled in Persia, which is modern day Iran. The second son was Ashur, who founded Assyria. The third son was Arpachshad, and he became the father of the Chaldeans, the people of Abraham, and he carries the seed of the promise forward. The fourth son was Lud, who lived in the region of Lydia, of Asia Minor, and the fifth son, Aram, settled in Syria. Now, Eber had only two sons. The first was called Pelik, which means to divide, and he was born when the earth was divided. And since we know that chapter 10 is a zoom out, That includes the events of chapter 11. We can assume that the division refers to the division of the languages, which comes in the next chapter. So Pelik was born when the languages of the earth were divided up. And Pelik's brother was Joktan, who founded the the Arabian tribes by his 13 sons. And at the end of the list, we have 70 families coming from Noah, all of these making up the table of nations because they all spread out and make up many of the nations that we still know today. And it's not a coincidence that the number of families in the list equals 70. Cain's genealogy had seven names after him, which was a complete wrap up. And Seth's had 10 names, which marks a completeness. So here we have seven times 10, which equals 70. Many people don't think that the Bible is written by God. But when you see all of the little details and how they add up, it's no wonder that they do. So Noah had given a curse and his curse defines the relationship between these nations. Shem is the blessed line, which is the Middle East Persia area. Japheth is the northern area. Japheth is the one who God will enlarge. He dwells in the tents of Shem. He's invited in where he enjoys hospitality and the wealth of Shem. And Ham is represented by northern Africa. Canaan is driven out and made slaves when Israelites enter the promised land. So he got that prophecy from Noah that he was going to be a servant of servants. And we see that here. So now that we have everything outlined of where the nations are established, we can go back to chapter 9, verse number 25, where Noah gives a curse. He says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And a lot of people believe that this curse is a curse for black people, African-Americans, based on this scripture in chapter nine. But the curse wasn't Ham's descendants who settled in Africa because it was Canaan only. He was the one to be enslaved by Japheth's descendants. And a lot of people have speculated that this curse is the source or the reason for slavery of Africans over the years. Ham's descendants were the ones who settled down in Africa. 
So this thinking is an attempt to justify the enslavement of Africans by Europeans. But even just reading this or skimming it, you can see that there's a flaw in this thinking. Ham wasn't the one that was cursed. Canaan was the one that was cursed. And Canaan didn't settle in Africa, but in the Israel-Palestine area. So when people say that Black people are cursed because of Noah's prophecy or the curse that he gave in chapter 9, it doesn't add up when you read the scriptures because he didn't even settle in the area where the Africans who were enslaved lived. So you can point people back to these chapters who bring that argument up and show them very clearly that that's not the case. So it's a traditional belief that the African nations are from Ham's descendants because the Cushites, Cush was a son of Ham, are thought to have lived where Ethiopia is today. But Genesis points to the fact that when the people were dispersed, it was probably along family lines. And it may be that Ham's descendants were of a darker complexion than Japheth's. But either way, it could just as easily have been the other way around. So even though Canaan centered largely around the Palestine area, they were later more widespread. We see this in Revelation 5 and 9, where it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we see from the scripture the beginning of God's plan to populate the earth in Genesis and the reason why in Revelation. He wanted to take people from every nation, every tribe, every language, and to bring them back to himself ultimately. So that's it for Genesis chapter 10. I hope that all made sense to you. I know I gave you a bunch of information, but the podcast is here for you to listen to over and over again. So if you need to take notes, you can always reference back to this episode. So just a reminder, if you haven't already, please subscribe because I drop a new episode every Monday. And I would love if you leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcast. You can find the link in the notes in your podcast app. People do read reviews and determine if they'll give it a listen. So your review helps new listeners make a decision to give the podcast a try. If you want to connect with me, you can reach me on Facebook and Instagram at Unfolding Words and on Twitter at Unfolding underscore Words. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Next week, we'll be wrapping up the Genesis Bible study with Genesis chapter 11. So I hope to see you right back here. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.